Hello and welcome to Seeing Red. I'm Mark. And you've probably noticed that we've jumped straight in there without playing you our usual theme tune. And there's a very good reason for that. And that's because we have a new one. We do. We will play it for you in just a minute. But before we do, we wanted to say a massive thank you to its composer and longtime listener of the show, Holly Jane Shears. Holly Jane is super talented and also super lovely. Please do check out her other work and we'll pop a link in the show notes. So there you go. We hope you love it as much as we do. Yeah, we're absolutely blown away. So thank you so much, Holly Jane. Yeah, let's, um, let us know what you think of it as well. Um, so we also wanted to congratulate the winners of our recent Patreon competition. And um, we had some fabulous prizes to give away. The top prize of a collection of true crime books and some chocolate adorned with me and Beth and signatures. Uh, that went to Sarah Jane Jarvis. So a huge well done to Sarah Jane Jarvis. Um, and also well done to the 10 runner up prize people as well. Prize winners, do you mean? Winners, Mark? fuck's sake. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't think of the word. Yeah, well done, everybody. And um, we have a new competition on the go at the moment on Instagram and on Facebook. So if you're part of our group or if you follow us on Instagram, you can have a little look at those. Um, huge thanks to Chris Clark, whose book I mentioned recently in my Wearside Jack episode. He has very kindly donated a copy, or a signed copy of one of his, four of his books. Um, so that's really exciting. So go and have a little look on Facebook and Instagram. And when's that one running until? That one's running until the end of January. Okay, so you've got a decent whack of time to get involved in that one. And speaking of true crime books, we will soon be launching our Patreon book club, which we are so excited about. Oh my God, I'm so excited for this, Mark, because this is your baby. This is your idea. And I'm just coming along for the book club and I'm so excited for it. Yeah, I'm still working out the logistics, but uh, yeah, I think probably uh, this week we're going to be launching the first book. Um, So yeah, very exciting. And um, we'd also like to thank the following people who have signed up to support us on Patreon over the past week. So we've got Lauren, Holly Jane, Emma Greaves, Rach Williams, Pebbles Buckley, Hannah Jane Charlotte Biggs, Susan Hayden, and then also Laura Rogers and Margaret Napier, who have increased their pledges. And we've also then got Sally Armstrong, Claire Worrell, Nicola Jane Stickling, and Susan Harrison, who have signed up annually. Thank you so much. There's so many of you. Um, If you would like to and are able to join these guys and support us on Patreon, uh, then you can head over to patreon.com slash seeingredpodcast right now and open yourself up to a whole other world of seeing red yeah huge huge thank you guys for supporting us in that way thank you so much so this week's episode contains graphic descriptions of serious sexual offenses 
And we always say it, we don't often give a warning because we are a true crime podcast. So you know that the subject matter is going to be oftentimes disturbing. But um, I think it's one of those cases where we really do need to uh, advise discretion here. Most of us, if not all of us, have a dream of some kind. Maybe you have always wanted to own a big house in the Caribbean, play Premier League football, become a professional dancer, a millionaire maybe, or become globally famous like Bethan. Yeah, maybe you want to be a podcast host. Yeah, That's maybe. a big dream. <laughs> a big dream, yeah. Uh, whatever it is, imagine if one day you met the gatekeeper of that dream, the man who had the power to make your dream come true. Imagine if he and he alone had the money, the influence and the means to ensure your rise to the top was fast and absolute. Now imagine if that man asked, no, demanded, that to get everything you'd ever wanted, you must first sacrifice your morals, your dignity, your self-respect and then surrender your body in the most dehumanising and degrading way imaginable. It is a horribly nightmarish scenario that should make you at least mildly uncomfortable to even think about. However, over the course of three long decades, literally hundreds of young women were faced with this exact situation, and the fallout resulted in multiple incidences of rape, sexual assault and degradation, as well as countless cases of personal devastation, crushed hopes and shattered dreams. The evil, merciless gatekeeper was, at one time, one of the most powerful men in the movie business and was often dubbed the King of Hollywood. He was a ruthless millionaire business mogul with a record number of blockbuster movies and Oscar nominations under his belt and seemingly limitless yet unchecked power over countless people's lives and careers. A power that he mercilessly abused in unimaginable ways. That man is, of course, Harvey Weinstein. And I am so glad that you're covering this case because it's not something that I know particularly loads about apart from just the basics from the media. So I am so intrigued to hear more about him. Yeah, we were having a little chat before we hit the record button and you were saying you were surprised I've not covered it yet. And it's one of those. It's, it was a huge case at the time. And then you kind of forget about it and move on. And then, yeah, something just pinged in my head. And I thought, yeah, that's a great case. When you did your teaser on social media as well, quite recently, everybody was loving your plans for a couple of cases you're covering. And this was one of them. So, um, yeah, great shout, Mark. Harvey Weinstein was born into a Jewish family on the 19th of March in 1952 in Queens in New York. He and his brother Bob shared a room in the Weinstein home for 18 years. Sibling rivalry between the pair was constant and often fierce. They didn't always see eye to eye and regularly locked horns as young brothers often do. Despite this, the pair still managed to form a fragile bond over their shared passion and similar taste in sport, music and movies. Out of many intense late-night discussions about their passions and dreams for the future, the brothers agreed to shelve their differences and forge a partnership which would ultimately make them millionaires and elevate them into the upper echelons of Hollywood royalty. The foundations of the Weinstein Empire were set in the mid-1970s, when the brothers jointly founded an independent rock concert promotion business. Right from the get-go, family and friends noticed clear distinctions between the two brothers' individual styles of entrepreneurship. 
Bob was more cautious, calculated and risk-averse. Harvey, however, was clearly much more domineering, ruthless and results-orientated, to the point of being an all-out perfectionist. A family member later described how Harvey was always aggressive and consumed in all matters of business. Nevertheless, this combination of caution and courage seemed to strike the perfect balance, and success came quickly for Harvey and Bob. During the peak years of their music production venture, they were bringing top-tier musicians to Buffalo, including Frank Sinatra, The Who, Jackson Brown and even the Rolling Stones. By the late 1970s, musicals were quickly gaining popularity as a film genre, and the Weinstein brothers were eager to get in on the action. Using profits from their concert promotion business, Harvey and Bob launched the next phase of their enterprise, an independent film distribution company. They named the business by combining the names of their parents. Their mother was named Miriam, and their father was named Max. And so, Miramax, their company, was born. I didn't know that. That's such a clever way to come up with a company name. It is, isn't it? It sounds pretty cool. It's quite a cool name. Yeah. At first, Miramax mainly produced musical movies. One of their better-known earlier projects was Paul McCartney's Rock Show, which I've never heard of, but... It's Paul McCartney, so I'm guessing it was pretty big at the time. However, it wasn't long before they branched out and began to procure the rights to bigger, much more serious mainstream movies. Many Miramax productions achieved immediate and fantastic results, and Miramax quickly became one of the more widely recognised and respected production firms in the industry. Harvey Weinstein seriously hit the jackpot in 1988 when Miramax partnered with filmmaker Errol Morris to produce The Thin Blue Line, a hard-hitting documentary which highlighted the struggle of a man named Randall Dale Adams, a falsely convicted inmate on death row. The film was so widely successful that it piqued public interest in the case, which in turn forced a reinvestigation that ultimately resulted in Adams being released and cleared of all charges. Wow, that's incredible. I didn't think I'd find anything that I'd be impressed with with Harvey Weinstein this whole episode, but that's incredible. Wow. Yeah, I'm sure it wasn't an altruistic motive in covering that case, but Really, that is you can't deny that legacy that that company has left behind. No, absolutely not. That's amazing. Yeah. The subsequent media surge also gained national and global publicity for Miramax. The following year, in 1989, they built on this success when they released Steven Soderbergh's cult classic, Sex, Lies and Videotape. The film's ensuing box office success propelled Miramax to become the most successful independent studio in America at that time. Over the following years, the success of Miramax continued to grow exponentially. Then, in 1993, Disney offered the Weinstein brothers $80 million for full ownership of Miramax. They agreed to the deal on the condition that they remained at the head of the company. To them, the ownership of Miramax no longer mattered. The brothers, Harvey especially, had risen to become the biggest names in Hollywood. And that's, I mean, that's a lot of money, $80 million, especially back then, but I think it was a bit foolish of them really to sell 
the company at that time because actually the company went on to be even more successful. But was that because Disney had carried it on? Yeah, it possibly, but I still think it would have gone on to be quite successful with them at the helm because as as horrible as Harvey was, you did have that perfect balance of the caution of Bob and the the risk-taking attitude of, of Harvey and it did seem to work. That's so true. I just think it's a massive amount of money and then you can go on to do something else, so... Yeah, I do agree. And I also think, as I said, it's not to them at that point, it wasn't really about making more and more money. Um, Certainly to Harvey, it was more about the power. And with him being at the helm of the company, even having sold it, he would still have power and influence in Hollywood. And that that by this point was far more important to him than, uh, you know, many millions more. And his name is still going to be known as part of it and all of that. So, yeah, I can see that with him. Yeah. The following year, in 1994, Miramax released its first blockbuster, Quentin Tarantino's cult classic, Pulp Fiction. One of my absolute favourite films, that is. Do you know, I knew you were going to say that, and we must have discussed it, I must have known that, but I knew that was like pretty much your favourite ever film. I remember watching it as a kid, because I, I would have only been like 10, 11, 12 at the time. And um, that is not an appropriate film for a 12 year old. I think that's it. I just didn't really understand it fully. There was just a lot of drugs in it and stuff. And I was like, this is just a bit weird. Um, I should really revisit it, shouldn't I? Yeah, you should watch it as an adult. It's so good. The dazzling success of the production elevated Weinstein to a near legendary status now. Despite such gargantuan success, Bob tended to keep a low profile and concerned himself only with matters of business. Harvey, however, was a totally different person to his brother. He relished the limelight and publicly rubbed shoulders with some of Hollywood's biggest names. However, unlike Bob, Harvey had a dark and sinister agenda. For years, almost everyone in the movie industry regarded Harvey as a genius. It appeared as if everything he touched turned to gold. In front of the media, Weinstein played the part of the average family man who just happened to be a hugely successful business mogul. In 1987, he married his assistant, Eve Chilton, and together they had three daughters. However, the marriage didn't last, ending in divorce in 2004. Later in 2007, Harvey married English fashion designer and actress Georgina Chapman. They went on to have a daughter and a son. Harvey's fame and influence were so far-reaching that he became involved with some of the wealthiest and most powerful figures on the planet, and there is little doubt that he alone is responsible for producing some of Hollywood's biggest stars. In fact, an analysis of Academy Award acceptance speeches spanning 50 years from 1966 to 2016 found that Harvey Weinstein had been thanked or praised in 34 speeches. That's wow. even Yeah, that's even more times than God. And he came second only to Steven Spielberg, who had received 43 mentions in that time period. That is mental. Weinstein was also a keen socio-political activist. Over the years, he was active in a myriad of causes such as poverty, AIDS and several types of medical research. He was also vocally critical of the USA's lack of gun control laws and he campaigned for the introduction of universal health care for all Americans. 
As a member and contributor of the Democratic Party, Weinstein supported the election campaigns of President Barack Obama and presidential candidates Hillary Clinton and John Kerry. Weinstein even hosted an election fundraiser for Obama at his home in Connecticut. As a master of manipulation and human psychology, dealing with Harvey was an intense experience. He would invoke fear and intimidation, but he would then also be soft and charmful. He would invoke fear and he would invoke fear and intimidation, but then he was also able to soften and charm you with that wicked sense of humour of his. He would put you in survival mode, making you feel confused, intimidated and mentally exhausted, but he also made you feel safe and cared for. And with that description of him, for me, I know that I have definitely worked for some people like that. Over the years, I've had bosses that almost kind of reel you in and they're so manipulative that you feel that you just have to obey them almost and you are scared of them but then you are also charmed by them and I think it's such a unique character trait to have because it will bring people in and it will ensure that you have power over them and it's also absolutely terrifying like that is such a oh my god controlling abusive person sort of trait to have and to be able to turn it on a whim like that that is really really scary I think it's it's borderline psychopathic, isn't it? I would say definitely. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. I think it's a it's a massive abuse of power of the power that that person has. As his power and success grew, Harvey gained more of a reputation within the film industry as an aggressive and ruthless businessman who would use bullying, manipulation, and threats to get his way. Rude and arrogant to the point of being loathsome, he often reduced people to tears with his vicious tirades of verbal abuse. He also had a severe anger management problem. The only thing larger than his enormous bulk was his gargantuan ego and his insatiable sexual appetite. Secret traits that would ultimately bring about his downfall and leave a long trail of trauma, chaos and destruction in their wake. The first actress to come forward and directly accuse Harvey Weinstein of sexual misconduct was Rose McGowan, an actress who rose to fame after starring in the 1996 cult classic horror movie Scream. Speaking to the New York Times in October 2017, Ms. McGowan, who was 23 years old at the time of the incident, alleged that she had attended the Sundance Film Festival in 1997. During her time at the festival, Weinstein had summoned her to a meeting at a restaurant, which was later relocated to his hotel suite. McGowan and Weinstein spent around half an hour in the room discussing the future of her career. However, once the conversation had ended, Weinstein held her down and raped her. Speaking of her ordeal to the UK media last year, Ms McGowan said, His whole world was set up to rape, to consume, to eat people's lives. He's a dastardly human. And I just, again, I thought that summarised him so well. Mm -hmm. He was almost devouring not just individual women, but their entire lives. He was owning them forever with his actions. Yeah, absolutely. Ms McGowan's report was publicised by the New York Times and was met with unbelievable arrogance by Harvey Weinstein, who reportedly commented to his colleagues, what a great story, 
Maybe I'll buy the movie rights. Oh, what an absolute asshole! I know. Doesn't that just sum him up? McGowan's shocking revelation soon prompted many of Weinstein's other victims to bravely come forward with similar claims and before long it became terrifyingly apparent that Harvey Weinstein was not only a serial sex offender but he had been successfully abusing women with absolute impunity for many, many years. One of Ms McGowan's many co-accusers was Dominique Hewitt, a model and once aspiring actress. In her lawsuit, Miss Hewitt alleged that Harvey lured her to the Beverly Hills Hotel in November 2010 by telling her that he wanted to help her secure future TV and film roles. Once they got to the room, however, Weinstein went to the bathroom and returned wearing only a wide open bathrobe and then propositioned her for oral sex. I mean, probably most of you listening to this are visualising that, because I am, and I can just imagine him in this kind of crisp, white, beautiful hotel bathrobe, barely encasing his huge bulk and just his tiny little chody maggot penis on display. <laughs> oh my god! Come on, I can't Bethan, you're picturing it too. That. But no, you do imagine that he'd be just disgusting in every single way. Yeah, hairy, Ugh. just sweaty, smelly grotesque. Um, So if you weren't imagining him uh, coming out of that bathroom, then you certainly are now. Mercer Hewitt initially rebuffed Weinstein's advances, but he allegedly became immediately annoyed with this and made it unmistakably clear to Hewitt that failure to do as he had asked would signal the end of her career. Hewitt said she was caught off guard, adding, I didn't know how to say no to someone like him at the time, which I regret. I wish I would have shut it down right there. Hewitt's description of Weinstein's cowardly and despicable methods was mirrored by countless other accusers who eventually came forward to publicly accuse Weinstein of assault. It appeared that he had repeatedly recycled a toxic blend of fear and manipulation to provide an outlet for his unhinged sexual urges. Give me whatever I want or say goodbye to your career appeared to be his mantra. Actress Ashley Judd also publicly disclosed how pressurised and afraid she felt when Weinstein invited her to the Peninsula Beverly Hills Hotel in the late 1990s for what the young actress believed was a straightforward business meeting. Instead, Weinstein took her to his room, where he changed into nothing but again the open bathrobe and insisted that he give her a massage naked. Ms Judd said she felt terrified and remembers thinking, how do I get out of the room as fast as possible without alienating Harvey Weinstein, the most powerful man in Hollywood who could essentially destroy my career? And that is just, that sums it up because he knows that he's got that power over all these women and it's just horrific. He's just using that completely to get whatever he wants. Yeah, and I think that's why he was so keen to stay in Miramax at the head of the company, even though he'd sold it to Disney. It was all about the status that would bring, the influence it would give him, and and ultimately the power over these young starlets. As Weinstein's power, wealth and influence grew, his crimes became more and more blatant, which is a pattern we see with every predator like this. Definitely, you know you can get away with more. 
Over time, Weinstein came to believe himself to be literally untouchable, and he barely even bothered himself with keeping his behaviour hidden. After so long, it became one of Hollywood's open secrets. Weinstein's unhinged sexual deviancy went beyond just struggling actresses, however. Female Miramax employees, journalists, casting agents, young entrepreneurs and even his own children's nannies were targeted, harassed and often assaulted and raped by Weinstein. It pisses me off so much that it was like Hollywood's open secret. Like, it just shouldn't be. Like, those women that were too scared to come forward, other people would have known about this and could have come forward and tried to support them in that. And it it really pisses me off so much that so many people kept quiet i can understand the people who had actually been raped and abused by him because the reason that they'd even that had even happened is because of the power he held over them but so many other people could have said something and it makes me so mad yeah i agree i think that that definitely annoys me too what also annoys me to a lesser extent because these people were abused too are the actresses, the household names, the Oscar-winning actresses right now who um, didn't publicly come out at the time in 2017 when people like Rose McGowan came out and built the Me Too movement from the ground up. These actresses who had been abused by Weinstein but had then built very successful careers and and had the status to be able to really influence that yeah. movement stayed stayed quiet mm-hmm. and that bothered me but as I say to an absolute lesser extent because they are still victims and that would have scarred them I just felt that some of them from things I've read online I'm not going to obviously name them but you can go online and, and see who I'm referring to but yeah I just thought that was I don't know not not shameful on their part but a shame. Yeah I know what you mean because they would have had the more of a chance to say something with less recourse. Yeah, yeah. But equally, they, they are absolutely still victims and we yeah. don't know how how Harvey's actions impacted them later mm-hmm. in life. And Definitely. it may have just been... I mean, how traumatic is it to come out in public and say that you'd been raped? No one should have to do that. No. So actually, yeah, when I think about it now, I, I do get it. I totally get it. So despite this catalogue of abuse, it didn't always work out for Harvey. He once landed himself in hot water after pulling his usual stunt with one such aspiring actress named Gwyneth Paltrow. Paltrow was still relatively unknown at the time, but had recently made her big breakthrough as the leading lady in the movie Shakespeare in Love, and she had subsequently signed up to do two further movies, I think it was, with Miramax. I really love Shakespeare in Love as well, by the way, Mark. I'm just going to throw that out there. In case anyone gives a shit. <laughs> no, I really want to see it. I never saw it. I nearly saw it the other week. It was on TV, I think, but I missed it. I'll watch it, Bethan. i tell you the other movie that I love of hers, which I think was Miramax as well, because mm-hmm. it probably wasn't long after Shakespeare in Love, uh, Sliding Doors. Oh, I've never seen that. Oh, you have to see we'll it. It's have a to brilliant film. we some movies and then discuss. I'm thinking we should set up a little movie club. Right, you need to get this book club first of all, and yeah, then I you do, can do yeah. a movie club. <laughs> yeah. 
So retelling her story to radio DJ Howard Stern some years later, Paltrow alleged that Weinstein lured her to his hotel suite under the false promise of conducting a business meeting. And that really was his MO. All these meetings were conducted in his private hotel quarters. And you wouldn't think anything different of it. I imagine I imagine it's quite normal to go to a hotel suite. Yeah, it's a pri- private space in a very upmarket hotel. This isn't a bedroom. This no. is a whole suite with a number of rooms including uh, probably a kind of formal sort of business area so yeah it was it was very normal so once Paltrow had made it up to Harvey's suite he made a strong sexual advance to her which she absolutely rebuffed Weinstein exploded with rage and told Paltrow that she was finished and he advised her to say goodbye to any chance she had of ever making it as a successful actress Distressed, trembling and terrified now for her career, Paltrow immediately called her then-boyfriend, Hollywood movie star Brad Pitt, and she told him what Weinstein had done. Pitt was furious, but not surprised. As a well-loved Hollywood heavyweight, Pitt's power and influence matched and maybe even exceeded that of Weinstein's, and he had no reason to be afraid of him. Pitt had also heard many rumours of Weinstein's behaviour, which as he later described, disgusted him. But again, it's kind of what you said. Why didn't he come forward and say something? Yeah, like, I don't know. I just think if you're, if you've got that much influence and power and you hear rumours, but but equally, I've never been in that position and I just don't know how hard it would be to, when it's pure rumours, but now something's happened to someone he actually knows. So he's, it's good that he then doesn't just brush this under the carpet, I guess. Yeah, because not long after this incident, at a movie premiere in Los Angeles, Pitt aggressively cornered Weinstein and actually threatened to kill him if he ever dared to make a move on Paltrow again. Oh, wow, amazing. Yeah. And like the despicable and cowardly bully that Pitt knew him to be, Weinstein meekly backed off and never again dared to interfere with Paltrow's career. And fuck me, isn't that a lesson for everybody? Once you confront these absolute bullying bastards, they just back down like a little child that they are with no bravery. Uh, It's one of the best things you can ever do. And hopefully we've all had the opportunity to do that at some point in our lives. And hey, if you've not, then maybe you're the bully. Or maybe you haven't had the opportunity yet. I know, I know. If you do have the opportunity, please take it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not. I just thought I'd be a bit provocative and and throw it out there. (laughs) Um, Other talented young women who bravely defied Weinstein's advances were not so lucky, however. In 2003, Dawn Dunning was an aspiring actress who worked as a waitress in a New York City nightclub when she first met Weinstein. When she told him that she was struggling to get acting jobs, Weinstein assured her that he could help her to secure major roles in the industry and invited her to discuss things further in his hotel suite the following day. When Dunning got to the suite, she alleges that Weinstein opened the door wearing nothing but an open bathrobe. She described how Weinstein motioned towards a stack of papers on a coffee table in the room and promised her that he would sign the contracts for at least three movies, all with her name on, then and there, but only if she agreed to have a threesome with him and his assistant. I mean, talk about being the absolute gatekeeper of of that industry and, and of your dreams. He's literally offering her multiple major movie deals. 
and he didn't he didn't mess around he despite being a horrible guy he was quite often true to his word and he would um the only way he could really exercise that power and influence was by following through with what he'd promised and i suppose that gained him the reputation that oh he's a bit of a sleaze bag and you've you've got to you've got to um work the casting couch with him but he will make your dreams come true so that would even further pressurise these vulnerable women into doing as he said. Dunning did not believe him at first and began to laugh it off, as I think anybody would. When she realised that he was being deadly serious, however, she refused to this threesome, point blank, and she turned around to leave. And at this point, Weinstein exploded in rage and began to scream that she was finished before she'd even started, and that he would personally see to it that she would never make it as an actress. And Ms Dunning said that she could still hear him screaming as she got into the lift to leave. So he really is an absolute psychopath, isn't he? And he's not even being like quiet about this he's literally screaming so loud that she could still hear him at the lift so any staff members are going to hear this and potentially piece things together yeah but don't you think he just doesn't give a shit does he no he doesn't but don't you think there's with this escalation and this arrogance to me there's parallels to the other case that i'll be covering soon Jimmy Savile. So Jimmy Savile abused children predominantly and very vulnerable young adults. So it's slightly different MO, but that escalation and that blatant um, display of look what I'm doing and I'm getting away with it and I'm teasing you all with things I say and you can't do anything about it. I think there's there's real parallels to me and we'll explore that further perhaps when we cover Jimmy Savile. No, I totally agree with you. I think it's that I can get away with this, so I'm. I don't care what you see me doing. But but I I, I don't think it's just that I don't care. Um, which there is an element of that. I also think it's an element of uh, getting off on the fact that they're being so blatant with it. It really hammers home to them just how powerful they are. So Ms Dunning, along with almost all of the women who stood up to Weinstein and denied his advances, claim that he certainly made good on his threats to end their careers. So like um, how he would fulfil the promise to secure these actresses with major film parts if they did what he asked or what he pressurised them into doing, uh, he would follow through on that and they would get these amazing parts and have these amazing careers. Some of them are household names now. Um, but equally, if you... Yeah, if you stood up to him, he would follow through on that too. And he really would go out of his way to end your career, sometimes before it had even started. Many of these women experienced significant career setbacks and irreversible damage to their reputations after Weinstein apparently used his power and influence to completely blacklist them in Hollywood. As a result, the women eventually felt forced to abandon their aspirations of becoming an actress and they were forced to then take a different course in life, carrying with them only traumatic memories and the painful, unanswered questions about what may have been and why they were put into a situation as horrible as they were. Many years later, however, all of his victims would finally see justice. After decades of abuse that had claimed countless victims, Weinstein's time of reckoning came quite quickly and showed a little mercy. By October 2017, several US media outlets reported that over 12 women had come forward and publicly accused Weinstein of a range of sexual offences, including sexual harassment, sexual assault and rape. 
In the weeks that followed, the rapidly growing publicity surrounding one of Hollywood's most damning scandals soon prompted many other women to vocally report similar experiences, with the earliest known incident allegedly having taken place as far back as 1989, and that involved a sexual harassment lawsuit against an intern at his production firm, and this case was settled out of court as so many of them were. As expected, Weinstein immediately went on the defensive and was quick to try and quell the fire that he had started. He publicly... (laughs) I'm just going to go with it. I cannot say that word. He publicly and fiercely denied that any sexual encounters he'd had with these women were in any way non-consensual. So he didn't necessarily deny these encounters, but he said that they were all consensual. Pisses me off so much. Really Ugh. fucks me off as well because it's your app. It's such a weak excuse, but it's also it's also quite a powerful excuse and carries quite a lot of weight sometimes in a trial. Yeah, and especially when people respect you as a big person from business and from the yeah. film industry, they may well believe you over these women. Yeah. Nevertheless, as a direct consequence of the overwhelming accusations that were rapidly piling up against him, Weinstein was dismissed from his own production company and then later suspended from the British Academy of Film and Television Arts. He was also forced to resign from the prestigious Directors Guild of America and was even publicly denounced by several high-ranking Democratic US politicians, many of whom he had previously shown support for. So all of these connections, all of this networking, these people were very keen to distance themselves from Weinstein. And within days, Weinstein's then-wife, the British actress Georgina Chapman, tweeted that she was distancing herself from her husband in that she was going to divorce him. Weinstein's marriage, career and reputation that had been three decades in the making now lay in a permanent state of ruin, but his downfall was only just beginning. In his second public response to the allegations, Weinstein attempted the classic poor and vulnerable victim approach. In a public statement, he claimed to be a long-term sex addict to that old chestnut and said, I appreciate the way I've behaved with colleagues in the past has caused a lot of pain, and I sincerely apologise for it. He added that he planned to take a sabbatical and was working with therapists to deal with these issues. What I know, that classic I'm a sex addict, so I'm exonerated of any blame. Yeah. Weinstein may have hoped that this half-hearted apology would suffice to stop the merciless firebombing of his life and career, but he was very wrong. The social campaign against him only intensified further from then on in, and then the force of the law stepped up. Police departments of Los Angeles and New York independently opened criminal investigations for his alleged rapes and sexual assaults. And further afield, the Metropolitan Police also responded to accusations that he'd assaulted three women in separate incidents in London in the late 1980s, and then in 1992, 2010, 2011 and 2015. Weinstein refused to speak to the media after this. Instead, a spokesman for Weinstein said, any allegations of non-consexual sex are unequivocally denied by Mr Weinstein. Mr Weinstein has further confirmed that there were never any acts of retaliation against any women for refusing his advances. Mr Weinstein has begun counselling, has listened to the community and is pursuing a better path. 
Mr. Weinstein is hoping that if he makes enough progress, he will be given a second chance. The arrogance of that. It's just horrific. Like, the whole thing is just... Oh, no, there were never any acts of retaliation, really. Like, oh, he's going to listen to the community. Fuck off. This whole thing is just... Ugh. He had so little respect for his victims that he even genuinely was thinking, yeah, I'll get a second chance. I will be forgiven. I won't, this won't go to court. And I think even if he wasn't being accused of rape and sexual assault or of any criminal act, I think just the fact that he was using his power and influence to, um, I suppose, essentially, as a minimum, pressurise these women into sexual acts and and sexual intercourse. That alone is horrendous. It's a horrendous abuse of power that people have been cancelled as a result of more recently. But the fact that he was being accused of actual rape and sexual assault, and he was still saying um, he's denying it, and he's just like, look, just give me a second chance. I just can't believe it. But it is, like you said, the arrogance of thinking that you could get a second chance. And it could have happened, That could it could have gone his way. Fortunately, however, Weinstein's sob story got him nowhere and he would never be given that second chance that he so desperately hoped for. The horrific allegations against Weinstein cast an enormous and public light into many other dark and murky shadows of Hollywood. Several well-known celebrities publicly spoke out and claimed that Weinstein was just one classic example of a much more widespread problem in Hollywood. And they described many other disturbing cases that ranged in severity from blackmail and sexual harassment to full-blown rape and even child abuse. This is what I do think is is at least one good thing to come from all of this, because then you... You saw so many people who finally felt like they could come forward about things that happened so many years before. Um, And yeah, there's not very much good that could come out. But actually, you just saw so many people decide that actually now was the time that they could come out and say something. And I really felt like that was so important. Uh, Yeah, I think I think a lot of women and, and men in some instances felt felt empowered by the Me Too movement and that bravery from other survivors that came forward rubbed off on them and yet it meant that many powerful people were actually brought down and we could probably do a whole season on uh, Hollywood greats being um, being brought down and, and going to prison. The deeply disturbing number of revelations prompted a social media outpouring of widespread frustration and outrage over countless other sexual harassment cases, perpetrated not just, of course, by Weinstein, but by many other men in positions of power, both in the US and around the world. And this public sense of outrage gained so much momentum that it birthed the groundbreakingly popular Me Too movement, which we've just referenced. And that was a social movement which encouraged women to break the stigma and share their experiences of sexual misconduct. The result was an enormous wave of allegations across multiple industries that culminated in countless lawsuits against alleged sex offenders, many of which ended with the guilty sex offenders receiving lengthy prison sentences. So we saw even Trump, for example, we saw a movement um, of of women coming forward to say that they had been degraded by him in in many ways. But people like Bill Cosby, that that was Mm -hmm. a movement that um, brought about his downfall, absolutely. 
The Me Too movement's quest for absolute justice swept the globe and it lasted for several months. It sparked many necessary debates which addressed important issues such as the meaning of consent, what exactly constitutes unacceptable behaviour and how the justice system handles sexual offences. So as you said, Bethan, so much good came off the back of this and it was all down to that Me Too movement. And and really, to me, it was all down to Rose McGowan. She was so incredibly brave in 2017 when she first spoke out. No one was speaking out against anyone, really. And she did it so publicly and her career had already been ruined. But she came out very bravely and a bit like, um, uh, what's her name, Giuffrey in in the Epstein mm-hmm. I know he uh, mean. I can't remember her first name but yeah so you know again another brave woman that that really held the lantern Weinstein was portrayed as public enemy number one the poster boy for rape sexual harassment and the perpetual abuse and victimization of women he was absolutely cancelled On the 25th of May in 2018, Harvey Weinstein was officially arrested and charged by the state of New York for two separate counts of rape, criminal sex acts, sexual abuse and sexual misconduct. He was released after a million dollar bail was posted on his behalf under conditions that he surrender his passport and wear an ankle monitor. A trial date was set for the 6th of January in 2020. As Weinstein awaited his trial, the state of Los Angeles also brought forth their own charges against him for allegedly raping one woman and sexually assaulting another in separate incidents over a two-day period back in 2013. Weinstein was charged with one felony count each for forcible rape, forcible oral copulation, which just cringe to say, sexual penetration by use of force and sexual battery by restraint. Just appalling, the worst allegations um, of sexual assault and rape that don't involve kids. You know, this was just absolute degradation of women. On April the 10th in 2020, Weinstein was handed an additional charge by the state of Los Angeles for sexual battery against a third victim, stemming from an incident at a Beverly Hills hotel in 2010. And on the 2nd of October in 2020, he was further charged with another six additional sexual assault charges from three more incidents in Beverly Hills hotel rooms, three counts of forcible rape and three counts of forcible oral copulation. His trial for these charges has been repeatedly delayed and as of now has yet to take place. So there was the trial, of course, that happened, but the trial for these offences is still slated to go ahead, but there's been a number of delays for obvious reasons. In 2019, the documentary Untouchable was released, which outlined many aspects of the case and featured interviews from several of Weinstein's victims. So If you've not seen that, I would absolutely recommend watching that. There were also witnesses who came forward to validate many of these claims. When later asked why they didn't say or do anything to intervene at the time, almost all of them commented that they knew Weinstein was a sexual predator, but they were simply too afraid of him to do or say anything against him, lest they must then incur his wrath. This also explains away the question that many of you may um, already been asking yourselves, why was he not prosecuted much sooner? As mentioned earlier, Weinstein was a terrifying figure with endless wealth, 
resources and influence in many different sectors. It was later revealed that several of Weinstein's victims, the earlier victims, had indeed sought legal action against him. However, Weinstein had always been able to evade justice by either intimidating his victims into silence or making them sign uh, NDAs or reaching other kind of -of out-of-court settlements. And he had a really powerful legal team behind him, um, people that were absolutely, in my opinion, complicit with uh, with his actions and certainly with the cover up. So, so I, I absolutely understand his victims not coming forward at the time. I do think, as we said earlier, there are other people in the industry that did know what he was like, and they were so established that they perhaps could have said something, but. Like you said, Beth, and we've never been in that situation, so you don't know how you're going to react. You've not seen it for yourself, so it probably is very hard to come forward, and it was quite a different world back then, wasn't it? It's not not like it is now, where people are actively encouraged to speak up and challenge that kind of behaviour. It, it, was, it was something that unfortunately was accepted to a certain extent back then. And I think it's, it is quite easy to sit here in in my house and kind of go well Brad Pitt was that annoyed with him on his girlfriend's behalf that he went and slammed him up against a wall like oh you know he's that bothered but he didn't then go and do anything else but I'm not him I'm not in his situation right then he may have heard rumors but he didn't necessarily believe them until it happened to his he might have thought that was the first thing that ever actually happened rather than hints of comments and stuff maybe he thought it was the first time that Harvey Weinstein had actually tried to do who knows and so it is very easy to kind of be like well that's great that he did that but he could have done more do you know what is ultimately Harvey Weinstein is to blame and it's not anybody else to blame so it's it's a weird one isn't it because you do think like I wish someone had come ahead uh, forward like a lot quicker yeah I do it's a bit like again with Jimmy Savile because I remember um, when all of that came out some quite high high profile people in the UK came forward and said oh there were always rumours about Jimmy and I I remember one of those women was Dame Esther Ranson who co-founded Childline which is a a support service for children who are vulnerable being abused or have other issues and they can speak to I I I guess it's like trained counsellors so you know she was absolutely an advocate for children's rights and protecting children yet she had she was aware of Jimmy Savile's um yeah. alleged behavior at that time because nothing was proven but she absolutely could have come forward and done something and she received an awful lot of criticism when she came out with that um with people saying why didn't you say something of all people why didn't you say something at that time but this is a little bit different and f- we don't know what conversation Brad Pitt had with Weinstein at that premiere in Los Angeles it could have been um Brad could have threatened him and said if you do this to my girlfriend or anyone else then I will kill you and I may have thought I've sorted that yeah. so so I do get what you're saying and I I'm certainly I know that we're not victim blaming in this episode because I, I really totally get that his victims and survivors wouldn't have felt brave enough to come forward and I also get that some victims will never come forward and that's I do get that now now that we've had that discussion out loud I do get why mm-hmm. I, I think yeah for me there is still the the question mark over others in the industry that knew that suspected that that did nothing and I'm not picking on Brad Pitt we don't know exactly what happened there and at least he did something but I think there are a lot of people that just knew and it went unchecked what I do wonder though is how many people actually did try and say something 
and were hit with legal, um, like, yeah, hit with his legal team. And potentially people did try and speak up. Like, we don't, maybe we will never know because True. Yeah. they settled out of court to be quiet or something. I just, I just don't know. Weinstein's horrifying abuse of power had spanned three decades and claimed countless victims. And we say countless because, again, we will never know really how many victims there are. This time, however, Weinstein was all out of friends and all out of favours and there was nowhere left to hide. His New York trial went ahead as scheduled on the 6th of January in 2020 and bizarrely, you might remember this from the media reports at the time, Weinstein showed up at court appearing frail and dishevelled and apparently requiring a walking frame to even stand up. He also had to be physically assisted by his security to climb the steps of the courthouse and many onlookers, along with most of his accusers, insisted that Weinstein was simply faking it and trying to do to the judge and jury what he had been doing to countless others for years, i.e. lie and manipulate oh to serve his own purpose. Definitely, completely, because you think about um, when the Golden State Killer or all of the different names that he went under but joseph d'angelo when he was then put on trial and he's i mean fair enough he is actually an old man now because he got caught so so late after all his crimes but he's up there and in the courtroom looking all frail oh i'm an old man now and then there was cctv footage inside his cell of him climbing up on stuff and sitting up on the shelves and he was just taking the piss and with Weinstein absolutely the same like oh I need to put on this facade to try and garner a tiny bit of sympathy potentially maybe yeah and even though a lot of the assaults had happened decades before the trial took place it would subliminally plant a picture in the jury's minds that this is a frail man and they they wouldn't be thinking of what he would have looked like and what he would have been like 20 years ago they're going to look at him now and think mm, was this guy powerful enough physically to have forcibly raped a woman um so so he knew what he was doing but equally a judge is not stupid he's gonna or she is gonna understand what what he's playing at When the trial began, the identities of Weinstein's accusers became officially known, with their consent of course, and they bravely took the stand to give evidence against him. Former Sopranos actress Annabella Sciorra told the court in detail how Weinstein had raped her in her own home 25 years earlier after forcing his way into her apartment and attacking her. Further testimony was heard from one-time aspiring actress Jessica Mann, who detailed a long catalogue of sexual abuse perpetrated by Weinstein, describing how he once trapped her in a hotel bedroom and repeatedly raped her. Three of the five charges against Weinstein related to Ms Mann. Other accusers also took the stand and provided upsetting details of their traumatic experiences with Weinstein. Towards the end of the trial, Weinstein's lead defence attorney, Donna Rotuno, urged the jury not to buckle under the immense social pressure from the Me Too campaign and to make themselves unpopular by acquitting Weinstein of all charges, insisting that he had been innocent from the start. And I think having a, a lead defence attorney that was female was, again, another real tactical ploy on Weinstein's behalf. It absolutely is, but it really makes me cross as a woman that she would even... I know it's a job and I know everyone de- deserves defence and I get that, but 
it pisses me off that as a woman she could stand there and cast any aspersions on these women and their claims and it I just I get I get that everybody deserves a, a fair trial and everyone deserves a good defense because the whole point of a jury is to look at both sides but that just kind of sickens me a bit that she could st- stand there and say things like that and be in that position in her job role I don't know that just really winds me up and, and I guess she would have been there cross-examining the witnesses and the survivors of Weinstein's abuse and we all know what that cross-examination can look like and it it can cause so much more trauma Mm -hmm. to to those victims yeah um so she, she potentially played a part in that and I really hope that she never ever ever feels in even like a small way goes through something like these women went through because then God, the guilt that then she would have to have for the rest of her life as well as the trauma of something happening. Like, I really hope that nothing ever happens to her, that she can still sleep at night because otherwise, like, you've almost made that woman go through the same thing multiple times in front of a crowd of people or, yeah. On February the 24th in 2020, after deliberating for five days, the jury convicted Weinstein of two counts of sexual assault and one count of rape. However, the same jury controversially found him not guilty for the other count of predatory sexual assault, the additional charge which would have almost certainly landed him with a life sentence. Um, He was refused bail and remanded in custody, and then on the 11th of March that year, he was sentenced to 23 years in prison, um, which is a significant sentence, absolutely Mm -hmm. deserved. And because of his age, he's in his 60s, uh, he will almost certainly die in prison. But he has appealed, he's vowed to appeal at least. Um, Within days of his incarceration, Weinstein tested positive for COVID-19 and we thought we'd all um, see the back of him. But uh, he was placed in isolation very quickly at the prison and soon recovered. More recently, in November 2020, Weinstein was again placed in isolation owing to suspected COVID-19 symptoms, but this time he tested negative. But it has been said multiple times that his health is rapidly declining, which is no surprise in prison, it it will do. Especially when you're the sort of person who's been in control of your entire life and everyone around you and suddenly you're out of any control. Yeah, yeah. Um, And the story doesn't really end there. In fact, the story may not end for some considerable time. On the 29th of May 2020, it was revealed through the media that Weinstein had been further accused of even more previous sexual assaults by four other women. And this news came barely three months into his 23-year prison sentence. So again, if if that goes to trial and this other trial happens and he has um, other sentences or terms imposed that aren't to run concurrently then it's it's taken as an absolute given that he will die in prison now oh good i mean this is so difficult isn't it because we we all know like our listeners know our thoughts on death penalties and that sort of thing and actually leaving someone to just die and rot in prison is a waste of time and resources and energy. But someone like this is never going to be reformed, is he? He's never going to change his ways. He's just a despicable person. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I wouldn't wish death on him, but 
Um, I, I totally agree. I think he's somebody that needs to, would need to stay behind bars for the rest of his life because, as you said, he's not going to change. He will always be a humongous threat to the female population of this world. And yeah, I, there, there's no way that he would be rehabilitated. So, um, he's where he belongs and, um, you know, that is at least a happy ending to, to this case, really. And I think that the legacy all of this left behind, as we touched on, was the Me Too movement and how victims and survivors of abuse feel braver to come forward now because we, this is a different world post Me Too movement. And um, we have Weinstein to thank for that. But of course, we would rather this had never happened. I love that now he is not the king of Hollywood. He's just a prick. I yeah, me too. Hashtag me too. That's not I how also you use love, it. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm sorry. Look, don't don't have a go at me. Um, I also I also quite like it when we see these really powerful, rich people that lead a very decadent, luxurious lifestyle. That when they get bought to book and go to prison, and I just think like like we saw it with Epstein, we've seen it with Jelen Maxwell right now, uh, we've seen it with Weinstein, Bill Cosby, all sorts of people, loads of people, and I just think, oh my god, the juxtaposition for them from their normal life of private jets and people fawning over them, luxury homes and hotel rooms and staff, to them being in prison, going to prison for us, Betham, would be horrific, um, but for them, it must be like a thousand times worse because their their sense of freedom and liberty is quite different to ours. They really have freedom because they can do whatever the fuck they want. They have so much money, whereas we're still constrained in our everyday life. So prison, albeit still horrible, would not be as 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 much of a shock as it would for them. So I always quite quite like it, and I'm and I'm satisfied when these people are brought down. So that brings uh, to an end the episode. Uh, thank you for listening. Um, it, it was a tough one because we, we've covered some really um, awful crimes here. And um, I just want to really make it clear again that we absolutely support Weinstein's victims in not coming forward at the time and not coming forward subsequently. I think having had that discussion, I completely understand that now. My issue lies 100% with Weinstein. He's to blame for this. Um, but there is an element of the industry colluding with, with him. Um, and I, I do think people could have done a little bit more in the industry to bring about his downfall a lot sooner. And that just comes from my own, I don't know, sort of anger that, that so many more of his victims could have potentially been saved from those traumatic experiences if people spoke up a bit sooner. I so, think it's so impossible to kind of definitely definitively say that I would do xyz in that scenario however I think what we've kind of come to a conclusion of is that we really hope that if we are ever faced with such a horrific decision to have to make that we can be strong enough like um the women who came forward and actually testified against him incredible and then I think it says a lot that these other cases are then still being brought to trial and he's still going to be charged with things months into his sentence these women have then gone do you know what he's not getting out so I now feel safe enough that says a hell of a lot that some people were not feeling safe enough to come forward until after he was already put in prison for 23 years so yeah I think you're more you're well within your rights to be mad at people I'm definitely with you in that I really hope that if I'm ever in a scenario where I see injustice being done in such 
even in a small manner, let alone such a huge way like this, that I would have that confidence to go ahead and say something. And we, we say this from um, from a different time. It's 2021. Um, it is a different world now. I think people are, um, well, they find it more easy to have these conversations and to um, hold people accountable for their behaviour. And it wasn't the case even five years ago. So I think, yeah, it's easy for us to say it right now, but you have to remember some of this was taking place in the late 80s, some of this abuse and attitudes to women in particular at that time was so different to how they are today. Um, women were still treated as second class citizens and things like equal pay had, had not long come in. So, um, so it was very different. I, I do understand that as well. Um, yeah, thank you for listening. If you, um, want to get in touch with us, you can in all the usual ways. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're on Patreon. You can send us messages and comments on there. And you can also comment under the videos that go up on YouTube or subscribe to our YouTube channel. I think we've got nearly a thousand subscribers. So please do subscribe there as well. And, um, don't forget you can support us on Patreon if you're able to, if you want to come and join our small army of super fans over there and open yourself up to a whole new world of seeing red it's patreon.com slash seeing red podcast until next time we will see you then bye bye Hi Angels, it's your girl Louise Rumble and I'm the host of the Open House Podcast. Therapy quite literally changed my life and sent me straight into my hot healing girl era. Now, each week I share my story, the good, the bad and the downright juicy and chat with some of the world's best therapists, psychologists and wellness experts. From love, sex and dating to attachment styles, nervous system regulation, wellness hacks, hormone balancing and more, nothing is off the table. I've emptied my bank account on therapy and healing so you don't have to. So if you're ready to leave the past in the past and build the future you've always deserved, me and my favorite experts are waiting for you on the Open House podcast. Listen now wherever you stream your podcasts and I cannot wait to meet you.